Good morning, everybody. I want to go on that Converge trip. I'm young, I think. I can go back to college. That looks fantastic. Well, welcome. It feels like this series we're in right now, Legacy, has just kind of gone so quickly. We're at the very tail end of the series. And I can't wait to talk to you about uh, the next person in our genealogy here as we've been looking at um, some individuals in the Old Testament. When I think of the idea of legacy, my mind goes probably in two different directions. And perhaps you can relate to this. Perhaps this is a perfect description of your family. Um, have you ever seen those families where everything just goes well for them? Um, the fathers are just wonderful dads and they just invest into their sons and the mothers are wonderful moms and they just mentor their daughters and then time goes by and <clears throat> all of these uh, wonderful values are, they find expression in life and, and a good sense of work ethic and able to care for their people and, and that leads to what most people would say, oh, that's a very uh, prominent or successful life. Look at those, look at that family. They've got, they seem to have it all together and very high functioning family, very healthy family. So if that's a description of you, way to go. You are a rare breed, I think. And then my mind goes to one other picture and it's probably quite the opposite. And it's where um, there's negligence and there's difficulty and it seems like nothing is expressed in terms of love or maybe there's just nobody there and and values are not passed down, values are, are missing. And then often what happens is you'll see parents and children and grandchildren, and it seems like it's like no one's standing on each other's shoulders. They seem to be just having greater difficulty. And, and now you get issues like addiction or, or, or sometimes um, an inability to sort of maintain employment. And, and obviously we know that those kinds of things lead to tremendous pain and tremendous difficulty. And the truth is those two little scenarios right there is there's probably many different shades in between those two realities. And I'm sure that every one of us here today can find ourselves somewhere in between those two layers. And I want you to take a second right now, and I want you just to think, if you would, uh, depending on your age, you might be able to think of, you know, there's my grandparents, my parents, and, uh, and there's my life, or my children, or my, my grandchildren. Uh, have, just have a scan. Because for me, as I think about it, it's very easy for me to think of my grandparents on both sides. I think about my mom and my dad. Uh, that's the next generation. I think about, I have a brother and I have a sister, and I look at my life and my siblings' lives, and then I look at my children, and I look at my siblings' children. And it's kind of quick for me to get an overarching look at that and to try to gauge where would I be on that spectrum? Where is the legacy from, from my context? And I want you to maybe consider that yourself for just a moment. And I want to be honest with you today to simply say this, I don't know that I could say that I hail from the perfect cookie cutter, Betty Crocker, is that, the, is that an American statement? A Betty Crocker, that's kind of, you know, all is well, isn't it? I, I just don't know that I could say that. And for me, just a quick scan, as I look at particularly my grandparents uh, and my parents, and I look at their siblings, my uncles and my aunties, uh, as I look at them, I'm like, wow, there were some difficulties there, some real difficulties. Um, I see... Um, addiction and alcoholism and violence and abuse. It's this easy for me to notice that and to see that very quickly. Just a, a quick scan. Uh, I think about my parents, uh, very young. I mean, they were like, couldn't get out of the house quick enough, almost running out of, uh, away from all of that. And, uh, and then they had children. And now I look at my own kids 
And I want you to maybe just put that in the backdrop of your mind. And what I want to say to you today is this. I believe that God is a generational God. And whether that's family ties or whether it's by way of investment, because not every person here is married, not every person here has children or grandchildren. But the investment that the Word of God calls us to in terms of discipleship and leaving a mark and having a legacy is here for every single one of us. And maybe you can look back and maybe it's great and maybe you can look back and say, man, that's not so, some stuff there is not so good. And maybe you're even able to look at your current reality and say, maybe I haven't done a good job. Maybe I haven't passed the baton on very well here. What am I supposed to do with all of that? The Word of God, over and over again in the Old Testament, refers to God as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, because He is a generational God. And today, we're going to look at legacy through the life of this final individual, Jacob. He is the next person to carry on the global covenant of salvation for planet Earth. Minor burden to bear. It's on his shoulders. Like God promised through you, Abraham, through you, Isaac, through you, Jacob. And what's going to come is the next sons are going to be the 12 tribes of Israel. The birth of a nation through the lineage and the legacy. We will receive Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. So it's on you, Jacob. This week it's Jacob. It's on you, Jacob. And the truth is you take one look at this guy and you just go, man, he's just not the kind of guy you probably handpick for the job. He's certainly not Betty Crocker. It's not that picture whatsoever. There's some real difficulties there. He is not a footnote in history. His name will be on the lips of every little Jewish boy and every little Jewish girl as they tell the stories and they tell the history and they talk about legacy and those things that happened as God's faithfulness in the past. Whatever way you look at it, this guy Jacob, he is simply not a picture of what you'd hope to see. But here's, catch this. God is so utterly committed to his covenant. He is so thousand percent dedicated to what he said he's going to do. He's going to take this guy, Jacob, who is just not the picture of what you would hope he would be. And he's going to do something to this guy, almost, I think, to throttle this guy. To kind of grab him by the throat and get his attention a little bit. Because it's like, Jacob, there's something very significant going on here. And it's going to happen through your life even though you're probably not the best character. You're probably not what we'd necessarily look for. So I want you to look at this scripture, and to put it mildly, it is a little bizarre. Genesis chapter 32. That night, Jacob got up, he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. Now check this out. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. <laughs> Where did that come from? What is that about? Okay, we got a guy, he's sending his, people, his family over to the other side of a river, his possessions, and then it says, and he was left alone, and some guy started to fight him. So what I want you to notice is like, there's no context to this passage whatsoever. What on earth is happening? For some reason, Jacob takes everything that he owns and loves. All of his possessions, what really would have amassed the basis of a small army. It would have represented for him his security, his future, his wealth, his protection. And he has sent it all over to the other side of a river 
And now he has left himself extremely vulnerable and very, very isolated. He is a defenseless man. And without cause, and in the Bible, with no explanation, with no reason, with no backdrop whatsoever, some guy appears and starts to wrestle with him, and they fight the entire night until daybreak. That is a bizarre, weird scripture. Now, when you think of wrestling, maybe you think of, you know, three-minute time periods, and you might think of a referee, or you might think of college wrestling, or maybe you think of a little bit more of the showmanship of the kinds of things you see on television with the wrestling. What image do you have of what it means for this man to wrestle with Jacob, not the best character in the world? And the best that I can understand this, this word could easily be translated mugged. And I'm going to let the cat out of the bag here. Who is this person? It is God himself. God is mugging Jacob. In the darkness, without context, he has jumped him. And he begins to fight. That is literally a fight for his life. This is not a sport. This is not playful. This is life and death. This is what it says. When the man saw that he could not overpower him. Who is the man? It is the second person of the Trinity. The word in theology for this fancy little word for this is the pre-incarnate Christ. It is Jesus Christ has come to wrestle with this man in the middle of the night. It goes on, he says, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he, he answered. And then the man said, you will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him, and as he passed Peniel, he was limping because of his hip. Three wild categories that I want you to consider today. If you want to address legacy in your life, this is what God is going to do to you. You ready to get mugged? Number one, God has come to expose you. God has come to expose us. And it is not pleasant. He will push you to be honest with yourself. And it is a war for your soul. It is a war for your family and for your future. When you, when you move to take your place into God's lineage, when you look back at your past and you look at perhaps your parents or your grandparents, when you look at your present, when you look forward to tomorrow and you view your friendships or your children or your grandchildren and you say, I want to leave a deposit, I want to leave a mark. Here's what God will do when you get to that place. He will strip you bare. And it is not civil and it is not elegant. It is a war for the matters of the human heart. The exposure will come because, we'll, God, because God will wrestle with you when you wish for God to fight on your behalf. He'll actually fight with you. This is profound in this passage. God in the person of Jesus Christ will never overwhelm you. But he'll always take you to a draw. Have you given up? Have you closed up? 
have you looked at your family and found that it veered in the direction of a picture that is it's just not so nice? And the temptation is, in fact, it is the easiest thing in the world to do to just say, I'm just not going to do that anymore. I don't need to leave a mark. I don't need to invest. I don't need to have a legacy because it just hasn't worked. It's too hard. And what happens is we just close up inside. You look at all of your legacy and you say, this has cost me. There was a day when you responded to the gospel with joy and passion. But now you coast. You barely invest at all. You've stopped praying courageous prayers for those whose lives that you could possibly touch. Now you're cautious and careful. And what will be required of you to bring your best to legacy, to family, to investment, to discipleship? It is an odd thought, but to bring your best, you must bring your worst. If you want to bring your best, you must bring your worst. Look at what God is doing. Jacob is utterly exposed. No security. One side of the river. Everything's gone. Everything that he loves his wealth, his security, his defense, his army, his servants. He is now isolated. That is the moment that God says, now I'm going to mug you. Now I'm going to jump you at night. You're not going to know what hit you. This is very real. Jacob is stripped of everything that he would usually depend upon. Everything that he had accumulated. And with his character, he had accumulated everything by hook or by crook. And now it's just Jacob. It's just him. He is utterly exposed. Jacob, I haven't told you this, his name literally means deceiver. What a name to give a child. Your name will be deceiver. How's that for a nice family picture at Thanksgiving? God has exposed him for what he really is. No one said it better than Paul, I think, in the New Testament. He prefaces it with this statement. 1 Timothy, he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. In other words, you better sit up on the edge of your seat and you need to listen to this. Pay attention to this. This deserves deep consideration. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, there's very few of us who would respond to a scripture like that, but that we would simply say, Amen. Yes, we believe that Christ came into the world to save sinners. But that is not even what Paul is really trying to underscore. In this next clause, the context of what Paul wants you to hear is actually found earlier in the chapter where Paul says, the word of God came to you, not for people who have the Betty Crocker little legacy and everything's perfect. The word of God came for you, not for the righteous. The word of God came for the unrighteous. I'm so glad for that, aren't you? I'm so grateful for that because that's the category that I fit into. He says, this is why Jesus Christ came. And then here's what Paul does earlier in the chapter. He begins to give this description of the unrighteous. And it is this unbelievable, dark and evil and yet real list. It is horribly dark but utterly true. It is an exposing. He starts off by describing a list of horrific sins. He says, this is what Christ came to to deal with. It's really bad. This is what Christ came to heal and to fix. It's awful. And he goes into this list of father killers and mother killers and perverts and slave traders. It is an ignoble list of people who have violated the heart of God. Paul is just gaining momentum. He says, this is what Christ came to do. 
Christ came into the world to save sinners. And then it's the next clause that was so staggering for the community <clears throat> that he was speaking to. He says this, of whom I am the worst. How can this be? That's Paul, the apostle. In another translation, he says, and I am the chief of all sinners. What is he doing here? Is it exaggeration? Is it hyperbole? Was Paul a murderer? Yes. Did he persecute the church? Yes. Did he call himself a violent man? Yes. But there have certainly been far worse before Paul. And there have certainly been far worse after Paul. And yet he stands before God and says, nobody has a greater failure of love than me, Paul, your apostle. What does this mean for us? What is Paul saying to bring into our legacy? This is the exposure. Are you ready for this? Because you're not going to like it. How are we to invest into the lives of our children and our grandchildren? How are we to disciple men and women? Don't miss this. We are to bring a heart that is able to confess without doubt or without any shame, I am the most troubled man in our group. I am the most violent man in our group. I am the man who within me is the most lust, the most pride, the most violence, the most anger. It's me to be able to state that. There will be no one in my circle that has a greater potential to fail to love than me. There's nobody more likely to close up and to, to, to shut up and to close down and to stop. One of the most powerful things a father can say in front of his children is this. Your dad needs Jesus too. There's the exposure. One of the most powerful things a wife can say in front of her family, in front of her children, a mother can say, is to say in front of her children, you know what? Your wife, your mom, she needs Jesus' grace just as much as you do. That is a powerful thing for you to do if you want to have a legacy. And God calls you to that kind of exposure. And that's what exposure does. There's no such thing as a good Christian. That's pra it's practically blasphemy. There are troubled Christians. There are needy Christians. Exposure, if we are to define it, is the framework in which you are able to say, my heart knows lust, my heart knows anger, my heart knows pride, because that is the nature of sin. That is the exposure. And Jesus jumps Jacob and exposes him. Look at you, deceiver. He catches him in the middle of the night without any of his comforts or any of his securities, and here's what he did. Jacob, I'm taking away your need for perfection. I'm taking away your need for performance. Have you ever felt that you needed to perform before God? You don't need to perform before God because he's going to expose you and strip you bare and see you for what you are. He takes away the pressure to perform. Why? Because God will always take you to a draw. He'll never let you win and he'll never let you lose. He will only exhaust you until you are Number two, God has come to break you. Anyone happy they came to church this morning? <laughs> God has come to expose you. God has come to break you. What kind of God is this? Sufficiently exposed, he now touches his hip and causes this man to walk with a limp. What your family needs, what your discipling needs, 
What this church family needs is not fathers and mothers who are leaders who rely on their strengths and their smarts and their degrees and their resumes. Rather, if legacy is to take a hold, we need men and women who know that the brokenness comes from the reality of the fact that we are weak and that limping is actually the true context for power in the kingdom of God. We live in a culture where your intelligence and your talent and your degrees and the noise that you can make and your ability to sling words together, your ability to intimidate people or to manipulate people, it would seem as though it has even greater power than the gospel itself. No, we must demand of ourselves that we are exposed and broken before God. Because it is in limping that I no longer have to live with the presumption that I actually have much power at all. Certainly no power to change this world. Or my family, or my children, or my marriage. And yet it is in brokenness that God finds his strength majestic. Again, Paul, he talks about this, and there's no doubt about it for Paul. He's feeling this deeply. This is what he says from 2 Corinthians. It's from the message. He says, because of the extravagance of those revelations, God had given him incredible truths, incredible revelations. He says, because of the extravagance of those revelations, and so I wouldn't get a big head, he said, I was given the gift of a handicap. Now, you've got to stop right there for just a second. Who here wants the gift of a handicap? Unless it's a game of golf, no thank you. Uh, to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down. What he in fact did was to push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. This is, this is our own strength. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift, and I begged God to remove it. Three times I did that, and then he told me, this is powerful. My grace, it's enough for you. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your in your what? In your weakness. Nobody thinks like this. There's no college course that's going to ever teach this. No one in this world functions like this. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it, ha let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap, and I began, to, I, I began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weaknesses. Now I take my limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks. Sound familiar, anybody? Sound like anybody's legacy? Does it look like a picture of your family or your efforts to leave a mark? He says, now I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. Man, this is upside down thinking. If you attempt to leave a legacy and you try to do that independent of God, armed with merely your personal strength and your own wits, your legacy will be lifeless. In his love, he will exhaust you and then he'll bring you to the end of yourself. And now you're weak so that you now are no longer operating out of your own capacities, but now you're operating in God's supernatural abilities. He will expose you and he will break you. So what is it that God wants? Number three, God has come to bless you. Oh, thank goodness for that. Exposure and brokenness. Okay, let's go with the blessing, right? God wants you to cry out for a blessing. Blessing that will infuse your life and the life of your children and your children's children. 
a generational legacy that will be passed down through your lips. Imagine this, the words that are coming out of your mouth, your actions, your thoughts, your generosity, your example, your life. And what is this blessing that we see? It's simply a change of name. Jacob, his name literally means you are a deceiver. What an ugly name. And he had lived up to that name all of his life. This guy was filled with ambition and it was selfish. He advanced himself at everyone else's cost. He worked every angle so that he could get what he wanted. And at this moment in his life, everything that he has, he has because he has tricked and swindled and lied and worked and manipulated to have everything that he has in his possession. And now it's all been removed from him and he's sitting there between a rock and a hard place. What is his new name? Israel. And what does his new name mean? It says it in the passage, one who wrestles with God. May our legacy come through limping. You've already gone through it. You've lost loved ones. You've battled with depression. You've gone through death. You've gone through divorce. You've gone through addictions. You've seen the abuse or the poverty. I look at my family on my father's side. It's extreme poverty. I'm talking like food on the table. Just poverty. That's my legacy. You've already gone through this stuff. You've gone through the pain. Have any of these words been the context of your life? Have these words as you look back, have they been the context of your legacy? Is this or something like this what you have already endured? And you've seen these things and known these things and have felt you as though, man, nothing can penetrate this darkness and all you're left with is hopelessness and futility. If that's you, then you understand more about death and regret and shame than this world will allow themselves to feel. If you look at the generations of your family, today if you look at your own contribution and you look in the mirror and you're like, man, it is lacking. I did not bring to the table what I should have. Then you're poised for a change of name. Man, you're ready. I will not let go of you, God. It's too much at stake. That's your life. These are deep friendships. These are your children. These are your spouse. These are your parents. He is known as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of the deceiver, Jacob. And if you can look back and see the mess and the dysfunction and death itself and say, I am not afraid of it. Because in that moment, you can lead your family into a stained, dark world. Why? Because Paul said of himself, I am the worst, and I know it. I'm aware of it. I am a man, though despite all of my failings and my violence and my abuse and my persecution and my handicaps, here's what I know. Because of the resurrection, all of that is changed. Therefore, death doesn't win. Emptiness does not consume. In fact, it becomes the context in which I am able to cry out. Bless me, bless me, bless me. I will not let go of you. I have to have your blessing. I need you to change my name. When you have a meaningful encounter with God, he will simply bless you and he will change your name. There's a particular scripture that's of real powerful and beautiful importance to my parents. They felt like they, did you ever have a scripture like, man, God gave that scripture for me. 
That's not for anyone else to read. It's just for me. <laughs> it means something to me. It, it's one of those scriptures. The scripture is on my father's gravestone. And I'm going to try to read it without crying. I have no promises for anyone. He says, as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is, on, who is on you will not depart from you. And my words that I've put in your mouth will always be on your lips and on the lips of your children and on the lips of their descendants from this time on and forever, says the Lord. That's not my dad's gravestone. And he knew it and he loved it. He memorized it was in his heart. I went back home in November to visit my mom and my brother and my sister and my nieces and nephews. And my mom said to me, my brother pastors a church uh, in Ireland, and she says, why don't, why don't you lead worship? I said, Mom, I don't, I don't want to lead worship. Um, I said, I'm doing ministry all the time. I came over here, get, I just take a little breather, you know? She's like, no, you, you got to lead worship. <laughs> I said, okay, Mom, I'll lead the worship on Sunday. And I love to play the piano, and I love to sing and stuff. So I didn't pay much attention to it, because I really was just trying to take a breather. And... Uh, and so Sunday rolls around, and my mom says to me, um, hey, you know, there's communion this Sunday. Um, I want you to do a special song. I said, Mom, I'm not, I, just, I don't have to do that. She said, no, I want you to do one of the songs that you wrote. And years ago, I used to write songs. Not very good songs. She said, I want you to do one of those songs. I said, no, Mom, no. I don't want to do any of my songs. Let's just do a worship song. Let's do a song that people know. Let's do a good song. And she says, no, no, no. You'll be, you'll be doing one of your songs. <laughs> I said, hmm, okay, Mom. And I'm pretty slow off the mark here. Sunday rolls around, and there I am sitting at the piano. And, of course, she had pulled all the strings, hadn't she? she this is what mamas do, right? And I looked over, and in the drum kit is my nephew. And on the bass guitar is my other nephew. And on... The acoustic guitar was my other nephew. Uh, my brother was preaching from God's word. Uh, my little sister was singing. And my niece, she signs for the deaf. So she was up and she was signing. And there I was singing this song. And I looked at my mom. Tears rolling down my face. I put my words in her mouth. They won't depart. She's seeing a picture of the fulfillment of the scripture on my father's gravestone. And I think the poverty and the abuse and the addiction and the violence and the alcoholism. It's not too late. What does it look like for you? Is it cyclical addiction and poverty? Sexual abuse? unemployment oh my dad had a bad heart my grandfather had a bad heart I've got a bad heart my son will have a bad heart we don't talk like that in the kingdom of God alcoholism and passive aggressive behavior and codependency and racism and lying and suicide and divorce is this your legacy? our God is a generational God and he loves imperfect families Abraham was a liar. 
Isaac was a liar. Jacob was a deceiver. Those are the exact families that God says. And I'll take those and I'll use them for my glory. And I'll bring my covenant to bear for the planet Earth through those kinds of people. That's perfect. That's the way in which I'll bring salvation to the world. I don't care how bad it looks. It doesn't matter how bad the dysfunction. You may have had the worst example. You may have had no example. You may be in the middle of the worst relational inheritance, the worst investment that is coming out of your life into the next generation. But I'm telling you from experience that God loves to interrupt us and to jump us in the middle of the night and to expose us and break us so we can bless us so is a brand new legacy for you and for your family. This is what our God does. So, man, we got to pray about this. Um, Heidi, come on up. So I, I want to pray generational blessings over your family. Anybody want that? I want that. I want that for my children. I want that for the lives in which I'm discipling into. Nothing less will do. i got to tell you right now, Satan hates this message. Hates it. He wants nothing more than cyclical poverty and addiction and abuse and neglect and alcoholism. He wants nothing more for that to continue. And today we're going to draw a line in the sand. So I want to ask you to do something that you might find peculiar and maybe you've never done it before. I'm going to ask you to represent your family. I'm going to ask you to stand in the gap. I'm going to ask you to repent of sins in your life. And then as you stand in the gap, to repent of sins. And this is what you might find unusual, but this is what intercession is. You're going to repent for sins that you didn't even commit, the sins of your family members. You're going to bring them before God. And you're going to lay them. You're going to repent and say, God, I need you to take up the slack here. I need you to wash us and cleanse us. So can we stand together? And I want you to stand as one who represents your family. I want you to think right now of the generations. I want you to think of your grandparents and your parents and your life and your children and your grandchildren. And if you're not married and you don't have kids, I want you to think of those circles of influence that you have right now, either friendships or college or the dorm. There are people in whom you are leaving your mark and you're attempting to invest. Or for those of us here who are simply saying, I'm not doing any of that. I want you to hear the call of God. He's ready to jump you. It's time for you to leave your mark. So God, we come before you now in the name of Jesus Christ. God, thank you for our families such as they are. And today, we come before you to represent each generation from the past and the present and the days that are yet to come. I confess the sins of those who have come before me. And in your mind right now, would you think of those specific sins and just bring them before God in your heart? Just confess them before God. God, I confess my sins and the poor legacy that I have left. Oh, Jesus, would you please forgive us as a family? Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. We repent of these sins. Joyfully, joyfully, with laughter and dancing, we receive your forgiveness. No more shame, no more guilt, no more condemnation. We reject and we resist the enemy and all of his lies and his manipulation. In the name of Jesus Christ, thank you today for exposing us and breaking us and blessing us. And I pray today a supernatural generational blessing over every individual and every family as they stand in the presence of God today. 
Amen. Okay, before we dismiss, I want to invite, quickly as you can, elders and staff, spouses, come on up here, please. Some of you are like, okay, you just touched on a nerve. You've no idea what my family's like. Thanksgiving ain't pretty. And you might be just cut up inside. And so I'm going to dismiss us now in 30 seconds. And, but if there's anybody here that we could be, we could just pray with you. Would you let us pray with you? Just in, individually, just face to face. We just would love to care for you. Maybe put a hand on your shoulder and just ask God to minister in places where man, it's like, I don't even want to go there. I didn't know today was about this. I would have skipped. Let me close with the scripture and I'll dismiss us. Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. And all God's people said, amen. God bless. Anyone for prayer, come on forward.